Alrighty, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me today is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, have you been showing off your beautiful smile to everybody, or are you, are you firmly in the mask <laughs> camp? <laughs> Draw a little happy face on the front of the mask. Good. You know, uh, well, first of all, my the masks I've been wearing lately, the N95 ones I ordered uh, from PPE Canada are black, so there's no drying anything on them. Ah. Uh, and second Stylish. of all, uh, I laugh because I have spent too much time at anti-mask rallies to not <laughs> hear that expression <laughs> and not have like a, a visceral reaction. But uh, kind of knew that, so I'm trying yeah, to get yeah, you yeah. amped up a bit. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm amped because it's open sources. <laughs> it's open sources time, so I'm amped. Anyway, open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be James Parr, who is the recently acclaimed NDP candidate for Guelph in the upcoming provincial election. And he will talk about why he's running, what his issues are going to be, and why it's the NDP's time to shine. That will be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the week, including the don't call it a coalition agreement between the federal liberals and the NDP. Can the two parties really work together after all this time? But first, uh, less funny, still top of mind everywhere. The war in Ukraine, uh, this might have happened by the time you're listening to the show, some announcement from Brussels where NATO is meeting about further actions uh, against Russia uh, that may include even deeper sanctions that may include, as uh, President Biden was inferring before he left, uh, maybe some NATO movement closer to the border of Ukraine, uh, beefing up NATO security in places like uh, Lithuania and Romania and uh, Hungary in case this becomes a wider war. And uh, in the meantime, you know, Vladimir Putin can't just can't help himself. He's got to wink, wink, nudge, nudge the possibility of using nuclear weapons if things don't go his way. So uh, not much is changing here that we're, now that we've entered week five of the war in Ukraine, yeah. week five. <clears throat> Nuclear weapons and the nuclear mess at the at Chernobyl. By the sounds of it, they <gasps> yes, they trashed the monitoring plant, and now that's good job. That's I don't know if that was <laughs> it, it was because it was contributed by the EU. I I think they they bankrolled it. So in that what sounds seems, like yeah. characteristic pettiness from Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah, it's it's now the official uh, <laughs> Russian government style. It's like oh, it's EU. Let's just trash it. So yeah, it yep. sounds like the 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 workers there finally got a break after like just working straight for however many weeks it was. So, yeah. So there's that on definitely on the front burner as well as the, this hopefully idle threat, but I don't know. It's somebody who's backed in the corner, obviously mm-hmm. uses that kind of rhetoric. Like, Oh, you know, well maybe we still got these, uh, <laughs> you know, one has to hope that it's not the case, but I, it's just that there, there is so much going on here. It's sort of changing hourly, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, as you said, things may have changed by the time this goes to air. But yeah, the as you said, NATO meeting in Brussels uh, 
Prime Minister Trudeau is at that and also spoke to the European uh, Parliament on Wednesday. I didn't know he was the first, he's the first Canadian to do that and Canadian Prime Minister to do that and it's from the existence of the whole <clears throat> European Parliament. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, he's done it a couple of times. But yeah, just the, saying the usual things, Zelensky's still doing, I was going to say his tour, but he's not really going anywhere, but it was, what was it this week? Japan, um, no, the friendly nations of NATO, France, Italy. Mm-hmm. Feels like a tour. Japan. Yeah. One of them gave him, uh, I think, 15 minutes, 10 ago, probably uh, France. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's, he, you know, still, uh, still asking the same kinds of things. And uh, something that came out today as well, and I only caught a piece of it. And it was Zelensky saying that that they're pl- the pl- we will re- we're, they're going to remain neutral, even though they're aligned with NATO. That's unavoidable right now. There's some talk about it. if this is what Russia really wants, then okay. But he wants to sit down with Putin, and I don't know what the odds of that are happening. I think they're infinitesimally small, probably. Right? Mm. Uh, Putin can't even meet with his own people without being a, a hundred feet away from them at the longest table ever built um (laughs) because he's terrified i think not of well i don't know how terrified he is of his closest associates but and speaking of that i'll slide it in while i'm remembering the uh top kremlin advisor Mm -hmm. it was it chubis anatoly chubis resigned yeah uh he's been in this in the inner circle for a long time he was the special presidential envoy so this is somebody very very close to the top and probably knows a lot of things yeah, <laughs> an economist uh, sounds like he was responsible for the the kind of moving towards post uh, post Soviet time in in yeah he in set Russia. up the oligarchs baby he de- he, de- he deprivatized or he de- 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 nationalized all the all the um, utilities and things so I mean he, you you can almost say he is kind of responsible for setting up the the oligarchic state in Russia so it's kind and, of weird that he's kind of bailing on. No, situation. N- knows where the skeletons are but probably yeah. has a yacht which is going to get chased down by somebody which seems to also be the case these days uh, the yachts <laughs> the super yachts are getting uh, <laughs> rightly so in my book yeah yeah let's uh, <laughs> let's get rid of all the yachts um yeah the, the the russian news agency didn't even acknowledge if he was still in the country or not although bloomberg seemed to indicate that he was long gone so it wasn't just like he's piecing out and going to retire somewhere he 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 more or less fled so undisclosed uh, location yeah yeah probably, right? i mean it, it's it's a defection and all but like finding some like the, the formality he's gone we mm-hmm. may never see him again um yeah the the thing with um the meeting with putin is like i mean that becomes less and less likely as each day goes by like because this is all as noted by people who are more expert in uh, the psychology of Vladimir Putin and I am this, this entire operation has been one big power flex. It's been one big like legacy flex. He's trying to prove he's the strong man. He's the big man. He's able to resurrect the Soviet Union in, or actually not even the Soviet Union, but sort of like the pre Bolshevik era of Russia when it was like a power player, like the, the czarist era, the Catherine, the great era Like he's making Russia shiny and uh, new, um, sorry, I'm channeling Mad Max Fury Road, which I was watching on the weekend. But um, the 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 um, 
it, it's just the more this drags on. And of course, like this week too, they, you know, they were showing satellite photos of uh, Russian divisions essentially building defensive positions outside Kiev. Like they're digging in, like building trenches and um, like setting up like defensive posturing and, and, you know, so, and then there was the news today that uh, a, a Ukrainian union had pushed, um, pushed the Russians out of what sounded like essentially one of the suburbs of Kiev. So, I mean, when you hear stuff like that, and then also that, you know, NATO pegging the total number of Russian losses between 7,000 and 15,000, which, um, the total number of Russians who died throughout the entire Afghan campaign, which was like nine years long, mm-hmm. was was 15,000. So if they lost 15,000 guys, and I mean, that's not a, a sure number, that's, you know, being pieced together through, you know, rumor, innuendo, and Ouija boards. Um, but I mean, 15,000 guys in four weeks in Ukraine, that's a freaking military disaster. And it should make Putin think twice, but it's almost definitely not going to make Putin think twice, especially while uh, G.I. Zelensky is, you know, <laughs> on his, you know, Zoom world tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, you know, it, the, the, the optics aren't going to make Putin come to the table. Of course, as you said, it, at this point, who knows what would make Putin come to the table. But the, the, the optics as they stand right now are certainly not going to. Well, that looks like the optics are pretty fuzzy in Russia too. They're, yeah, they're getting a completely different feed from the rest of the the world. And what is it? Everything's going according to plan. Seems to be the repeated line, <laughs> which is vague that enough. Before. It's like yeah. okay, if the if the plan was to have this protracted thing and not, you know, under and completely underestimate mm-hmm. uh, where the Ukrainians were coming from, like it, it show, sounded it like. Shows- it shows the full penetration of like the Q ethos, right? Like it's not necessarily Qism. I'm but by Qism I mean QAnon. Um, but mm. you know, it's like this whole like trust the plan. Yeah, it looks like we're doing terrible. I mean, that's what came out in 2018 when the Republicans lost the midterm election. It's like, yeah, it looks bad, but trust the plan. It's essentially what's going on in Russia right now. Trust the plan. It's a Zedanon, I guess, in this case, right? But <laughs> and there seems to be a lot of Zed tanks and materiel getting reappropriated. <laughs> if the, I mean, I, do, I don't think all of the farmers towing the tanks and, and other uh, munitions away can all be for you know. They're saying, oh, this is all fraudulent. I was like, there's there's just no way. So not all, and it's them, kind yeah. of bizarre, really. I mean, think about it, it's like so. These aren't destroyed. They've either they've been abandoned and they've they've left or run away or, or def- there it sounds like there's been defections to use that word again because mm-hmm. it sounds like some of them are like ah, i didn't i didn't know this is what we signed up for or we were supposed to be walking in as liberators like no right uh so this it sounds like there's a lot of that going on as well and if you know enough stuff arrives from the west it's mostly the west right mm-hmm. um and the ukrainians can get um, re-outfitted, then it's just if it's if it's closer to fifteen thousand Russian troops gone. I, I believe the total capacity was only a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So at that you know it, at that rate, if that keeps up, there'll be no one left in a year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of a lot of higher ups are getting taken out. Mm-hmm. Like they definitely, and it also sounds like they're not collecting their dead, which is one of those things. Is like hmm, you just. You're just leaving them 
behind. Well, I mean, that's that also, you know, catches up to you eventually, right? Because, you know, you're going to have... Where's my son? Yeah. Yeah. Families at home going like, hey, remember when Mikhail went on like a training mission to like Siberia and then we never heard from him again? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then like, you know, uh, Misha down the road has the same thing with her husband. And then the lady, you know, the next neighborhood over, her two sons who were also in the Russian army uh, mysteriously never came back from wherever they mysteriously went. I mean, it's just... You, you can't hold up that momentum. But again, it comes down to like, what does Putin do then? Because, it, you know, again, it's been noted by people who have more geopolitical expertise than I do. What we're seeing in Maniapol, uh, or Mariupol, sorry, mm-hmm. is um, it, it's serious style tactics. It, it, they're pulling in Aleppo on Mariupol, where it's just like they're bombarding the whole city uh, to ash. And the mayor of uh, Mariupol said... Um, the estimate is like 80% of the buildings there have been destroyed. And like, there aren't even any troops in the city. And like, there's still like a hundred thousand people there, but Russia is doing this entirely remotely, like offshore using missiles and stuff. That city, by the time we're talking about this next week might be gone. It might be mm. just a pile of rubble that used to be called Mariupol. And if, if this is kind of like, and it's one city and I was looking at a map of like where the fighting is. I think it was on Al Jazeera or BBC, one of the two, but the fighting is still like very much like concentrated along the Western border area. There's still a whole other country, like 90% of Ukraine, at least where they are not seeing much in the way of military action right now. All of this is concentrated on the Western front. And you're looking at all of this carnage, all of this damage, all of this loss of life. And they're like hardly making any progress at all. And how long do you keep that up before you're Vladimir Putin and you don't want to lose this and you start thinking to yourself, well, I've already like smushed a city of half a million people into basically confetti. I wonder what it'd be like if I released chlorine gas in Odessa. Yeah. And then this, if I understand it right, Mariupol was, if not majority Russian speaking, a lot of Russian people there, ethnic Russian. Yeah. So what does this achieve? Mariupol would unite the front coming from Crimea and then the Donbass, which was the disputed where it's not where all this started, but that's, that's been on simmer for eight years. Yeah. So, I mean, could that be it that, okay, we've got this Southern part, Southern Southeast Ukraine, Western Russia, as you said, is this the goal? Is it like, okay, we've got, we've got the, the Russian areas back. Mm-hmm. Will we stop then? But I don't think, I don't think he's going to stop until he's got Zelensky's head or no. somebody significant. The, uh, the Kiev, the mayor twins, the, the mayor twins. <laughs> One is the mayor, but his brother's there, the Xboxers who would probably make short work of uh, Putin in about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, this is a great question. What is the end game here? If the, if there is one, or is it going to be protracted? Is it going to be because the reports seem to be stalemate, right? It's, yeah. it's stalled. This thing is yeah. stalled. You even if you win Mariupol, it's like how are you going to get out of there? There's more stuff arriving from the west. Mm-hmm. Russia sounds there's been a couple of reports that they're having trouble uh, restocking parts because of the sanctions that are going on. Mm-hmm. 
So you might have all of this gear. You probably get, I don't know where the heck you're going to get it from unless it's China. Uh, and it doesn't sound like that's going to happen necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, what, what do you do then? Right. And I said this, we've said this every week. We've talked about this is that Putin can't, can't, well, he can, but he is not going to end on a, on a, as, as a loss. It has to look like a win, whatever the, whatever it is. But in terms of what, what was the line they used about making, uh, not peacemaking, but like make sure, making sure that Ukraine changes to neutral. It's changing to nothing. Like it's, yeah. as you said, it's being pounded, you know, way to get those Nazis Z team. Like <laughs> if, if that was the case, you could probably go after the Nazis in quotes. Uh, but you know, as you said, I can't remember we talked about last week or did it just happen this week? The uh, Holocaust survivor survives four death camps and then gets yeah killed in Mariupol. Like yeah, that's on the weekend. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, it's it's oh boy, pariah status yeah. fully solid as of well the second they cross the border, probably. Yeah, it's just like I. It's got to end with Putin being gone i think that's the like because he's not it just there's no good way this is going to end like either way this is going to end in in some horrible 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 way just Hmm. a feel just a feeling anyway uh we have to move on to the real war crime in this week uh which is the um i want to get this term right the confidence and supply agreement between the ndp and the liberal party and in, in uh in the federal government the illegal secret agreement uh, if you listen to certain quarters um <laughs> but i mean this came as kind of a surprise it was uh leaked to the news media that this was coming on monday night and tuesday morning uh justin trudeau came out and said yeah done deal we're working with the ndp on the delivering for canada now agreement and uh, it, this is quite the laundry list of sort of NDP expectations in exchange for propping up the Liberal government on all confidence and budget uh, motions until the year uh, June or until June 2025. So basically until the next election, which, uh, wow, this is, you know, in a world of terrible surprises, this is kind of one of those oddly pleasant surprises. Well, if we go back into the files, this this is my prediction. Like I said, I've been I've been. Oh, this was a production, yeah. Lots of things, but I, I was like, no, we'll, we'll probably see it. Although these kinds of things tend to happen uh, sooner, like right after the election. It's something like this is hatched usually. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's with with everything going on, including COVID and truckers, maybe it took longer than it may have. Mm. Uh, but <clears throat> I mean, considering the NDP have been up, up until and including the Emergencies Act have been backing the Liberals on uh, confidence and you know, high level motions. This isn't really that much of a surprise. And I don't think any of the stuff that's in it should be too much of a surprise. These things like, you know, dental care, uh, the rich folks bones as they're called, right. Taking care of other people's <laughs> teeth. Although I did read that, uh, you know, it's starting with children at first and there are lots of provinces and territories that have dental care for children that are underneath a certain uh, line. Yeah. So it's new ish. Yeah. The, the full rollout, whatever the heck that looks like in 2025, will be new. And as with uh, Pharmacare, hopefully there will be a list of, of, you know, a good list. To the, it's something to do with purchasing, to right? Bulk purchasing. It's like, uh, I, I think it's the kind of thing that already exists. It's just that, you know, not everyone is getting their 
you know, the basic list of, uh, of drugs. So that's something. I, I mean, I don't know. They're, they've revealed this. It was like, here's the big reveal. It's like, well, some of this is kind of like, it's been floated. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, uh, CCF 1933 level. <laughs> 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 Although, yeah, because dental was mentioned in that all those years ago, a hundred years ago, it's like, we should be taking care of people's teeth because they're terrible. And there was no fluoride in the water. In that. Uh, right. Some of the other housing, childcare, climate change, like you say, the whole list. Although I have to say that my favorite comment on this mm-hmm. was Warren Kinsella writing in the sun, which I only <laughs> read, as I said, when we talk about things like this, the axis of weasels, Oh, was the best line. It was the west of lines. It was the worst of lines. But I mean, he he really let them have it. And there is this narrative about all oh, the, um, not it was it was quite illegal. It was undemocratic. Is the, is the, yes. the recurring yes. theme? And it's like, yeah. did you take history even in high school, Candace Bergen? Like, because this is how it works. And I loved people digging up the. Do you remember that whole thing with Harper and Layton mm. and Duceppe? It was like, you know, if this government falls, you should really ask everybody else if they want, you know, the, the coalition that wasn't really a coalition. Yeah. But they all signed the document. And mm-hmm. now 10 or however, it's more than that years later. It's like, oh, this is illegal and it's undemocratic. This is the system working exactly how it should work. 50% of Canadians voted for these two parties. Well, I mean, so there's why nothing. not? Right. There's, I mean, there's literally nothing undemocratic about two parties working at together. All. It's or I, three. I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, it also is the message going back in time to 2008 after the, you know, the Harper government won re-election and then the financial crisis hit and Stephen Harper was basically like, yeah, we're not going to do anything, which basically meant we're going to do, we were going to do austerity. And there was like a loss of confidence in the government. And then Stephen Dion, Jack Layton and Gilles Duceppe all got together. It's like, yeah, we could form a government. Sure. And then that was the log line. It's like, this is undemocratic. They can't form a coalition. It's like, yeah, they can. Um, you can actually do that if you can't if, if you lose the confidence of the house and there's another group uh that has formed a coalition uh mm-hmm. and said like yeah we can rule guess what they get to ha- have their crack at the bat um but i mean this this in particular you're right it, it is kind of cementing in some sort of formality what's been going on and when you do look at the list it is you know it actually i would say that the dental care bit did come as a surprise like that scene mm. that's like a big 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 investment um and i think that was probably the deal breaker which is why it was kind of up front but i mean some of it too is like following through on the recommendations of the michigan murdered indigenous women and girls um things like taxing um the rich who rich financial institutions that made profits during the pandemic uh things like creating a clean job center. Um, I mean, it's, it's this kind of like minutia. It's like kind of common sense, kind of forward thinking government stuff that could get lost in translation as sort of crises rise and fall, as we're kind of seeing uh, with, with the convoy with Ukraine. Um, but now there's, I guess, accountability because there are all these like meetings, these quarterly meetings with the leaders. And so Jagmeet Singh gets to go into the PMO and go, hey, what's the deal with this one? What's the deal with this one? And um, which I think is probably been a missing piece. I mean, what I will say is that 
Jake Meat Singh's not stupid. And he's certainly prob. I mean, the view's not great from down at the other end of the ledge, but he's been watching Justin Trudeau. Mm. And he knows Justin Trudeau uh, loves to talk about big, ambitious stuff on the campaign and then never get around to it because doing big, ambitious stuff is hard and complicated. And uh, so he will, you know, he knows who he's, he's dealing with. I have a feeling he would not have entered into this if it was just like another slap and tickle to just like you know keep to keep trudeau in business and avoid having an election he wants to see results and um i think you know i laughed at charlie angus's comment about you know candace Byrne, and it's just like yeah you win some you lose some <laughs> so i mean if, if like an old guard ndp or uh who's like bitter and jaded but still hopeful like charlie angus you know is is sort of seeing the the bright side of this there's there's probably good reason to. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to be on the, the bright side of this, obviously, but I, I, I wonder, like, because it's non-binding, you have to wonder how much of it will get done. And sure. it, I, I think they pretty much have to get some version of all these things out there or will be seen as a as a fail, right? That they're pushing it as stability, as stability for Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not really just for Canadians. It's, it's a lock for the government now, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. there, there won't be, if, with this in place, as long as it holds, there won't be an election. And they would have, I think the Liberals would have to do a lot by the looks of it to really piss off the NDP and get them to like say, no, this is a, this is over. Well, I mean, uh, like I said, lines the, of, the sorry, big, go ahead. The, I was just saying like the big one is dental and, mm-hmm. You know, pharmacare has been on the docket for a while. A lot of this stuff's been on the docket for a while. So it's just like, yeah, it's 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 non-binding. Like the list is is not extravagant, despite what Candace Bergen wants you to think. And the other thing I'll add to socialist, is, <laughs> socialist. Yeah, yeah, it's backdoor socialism, which I think is another expression I heard. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, if the conservatives don't like, you know, uh, parliament working, it's like, well, dudes, you can't even make your caucus work like if you're in the middle of another leadership contest you're third in five years so you know yeah <laughs> work learn how to work together and maybe you can learn how to work with the rest of parliament just saying <laughs> take a look inside your own house first although it was fun to you could hear pierre polyev's head exploding like right from coast to coast, to coast. <laughs> uh, uh and that was fabulous in my opinion <laughs> scanner style yeah yeah <laughs> I guess we're not really supposed to use head explodes anymore. So uh, his eyes bulge out with rage on Twitter. How's that? <laughs> well, well, I was going to say it could be that meme where it, it's the, the gift that you go into the guy's eye and he's in the, in his eye and it keeps going down like that rabbit oh, hole. I think, yeah. I think that's the appropriate gift for uh, Pierre Polivare's um, mood this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Freaky man. Yeah. <laughs> Freaky mood. <laughs> Especially since he has like two more competitors, um, one for the moderate column, one for the fringe column. Um, so it's, I mean, again, that's like Candace Bergen. Also, I want to add this too. Candace Bergen uh, moved into Stornoway for a couple of months, uh, expensing 20 grand for that couple of months in Stornoway. Uh, so, you know. What a waste of taxpayers' money. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, it's like, How dare I, they? she doesn't seem terribly concerned about taxpayers' money moving into a house she's only going to live in for three months. Well, as long as we get an invite to the wine and cheese, at least, you know, that'd be. We're definitely not getting an invite to the wine and cheese. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> We're gonna have to take a quick break while I secure the trademark on Zedanon and start some conspiracies. <laughs> but we will be right back with our interview with James Parr. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. So Royal Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in downtown Guelph. And that's number 17 from the CFRU charts this week. The band is called Combo Chimbita. The album is called Irie. And the song is Di Frente, which I think means to take something head on. Mm-hmm. I believe. I My Spanish language consultant is uh, not available, so... And I'm not going to admit to putting that in Google uh, Translate, trying to figure out what. <laughs> Frente is front, so head on, right? I don't know. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed that. Check out um, our chart at CFRU.ca for all the hits. <laughs> we, hope, we also hope you enjoyed Scotty's insight into his musical selection process, as usual. <laughs> and we hope you enjoy the following interview, which is with James Parr. He was acclaimed a couple of weeks ago at the NDP's nominating meeting. He is going to run for the New Democrats here in Guelph in the next election. So this completes our series of sort of introductory big four interviews. Mike Schreier, you know, we've done one with Rochelle Devereaux running for the Liberals, Peter McSherry is running for the PCs. And now without further ado, here is James Parr of the NDP who we caught up with uh, this week over the old Zoom machine. So we will hit play on that interview right now okay so james barr thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having me i'm excited <laughs> we'll see how we are at the end of the interview um yeah. so you know first things first um what made you want to get involved in politics and uh what made you want to get involved in politics as the ndp candidate uh where do i even start so <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, I was laid off for a couple months, around four. And during that time, uh, without an income initially and with rising costs, PPE, uh, seeing the real struggle, it really made me think what I want to do with my life. And as I got further into it, I started looking around and starting to see the once-in-a-lifetime weather events, unstop, uh, the biggest uh, temperatures we've ever seen or flooding in BC, or freezing in BC, I really realized something's got to change. And I realized I want to be that change. And the NDP, I believe, is the only party that will deliver that change. Mm-hmm. So do you mind, first, do you mind uh, saying where you got laid off from? 
Yeah, uh, I work at Gordon Food Service, uh, Gordon Food Services as a senior operations analyst. Okay, they I've been rehired back, and yeah. I absolutely love it there. Uh, but the food sector in particular, our business dropped seventy percent overnight. Right, we had a full truckload of product being sent out, and then all of a sudden, the province order came in, and everything was sent right back. Mm. So the government then had to uh, do lockdowns and then four months and a free uh, summer later, I was hired back. Okay. That's good to know. But you know, you, so you must know people who were had to be like on the job throughout the entire of the pandemic. And, yeah. Um, yeah. All the, my Gordon food services luckily uh, had really good COVID preve- uh, prevention, uh, but it was always top of mind. The, the selectors, the drivers who still had to come into work every single day, or the drivers who had to go into the back of hospital hospitals who were there for themselves suffering COVID outbreaks. These people never got a day off. Mm. And they had to slog it out through all of it and still had to drive into work when the rest of us either got to work from home or got laid off. So they're the true heroes. <laughs> yes, they are. So you, you just mentioned, you know, you, you feel the NDP is is on the or their policies are on the right course for the future. So what makes a good NDP candidate? Like what are the characters that uh, the characteristics that make a good NDP candidate since you are one? <laughs> um, I think the number one is the ability to listen. Um, I have my own uh, unique life perspectives and stories, but by no means can I speak to everyone who lives in Guelph mm-hmm. and I'm trying to run to be Guelph's representative. So for any party, Regardless of who it is, it's to be able to represent, to be able to listen. Uh, NDP, uh, it's to be able to know your community and fight for people uh, over profit. Be able to put the interests of your citizens over corporations and big business. And be able to make sure that at the end of the day, you think that you've done everything you can to make someone else's life better. Mm -hmm. At the nomination meeting, you, you kind of spoke about the predicament that people in your age group are facing. Um, you know, whether that's the the cost of housing, whether that's, you know, one crisis after another, (laughs) um, and also all the pending crises too. Um, you know, politics has always traditionally been a bit harder to get younger people involved too. So, you know, is, is it safe to say that you're being driven by, your life experience that it, that, that, that this is kind of like a, a missing ingredient in our politics right now is the perspective of people like you who have sort of come of age in this era of constant crisis. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think it's my la- uh, life experiences or you can say lack of, because I want to be able to have a mortgage. I want to be able to afford and have a family. I want to be able to send my kids to school one day, but unfortunately that's not in the cards right now. Uh, uh, the truth of the matter is if my landlord decided to evict us tomorrow to sell our house, I couldn't afford to buy it. I couldn't afford to find rent in Guelph. Uh, the Guelph today did an article. Guelph is the ninth most expensive place to live and to rent in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And we're definitely not the ninth biggest economy. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a price mismatch between incomes, location, and what people actually are. And if we're not careful, Guelph can't, will turn into just another Toronto suburb. And I love Guelph. And I think we definitely have the people and the businesses here to thrive. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my generation, yeah, we've traditionally been left out because we're busy working uh, 60 hours and doing the grind and burning ourselves out, 
paying off our uh, university tuitions, uh, which I still unfortunately am. So I'm, I'm trying to take this dive in to represent that generation. So, I mean, leaving party platforms aside, um, I mean, just speaking for your generation, which I know is a, a, a big lift, but I mean, when it comes to politics, when it comes to like the things that the people in power don't understand, you know, what is it that I guess you want to bring to the table as, as someone who is kind of on the younger side of things? And, you know, I guess what are kind of some of the issues you, you are thinking about that don't get addressed and potential solutions that you think nobody really talks about? I definitely can't be the voice of my generation, <laughs> but I can give you some ideas. Sure. Um, we need action now. All the climate change targets we've been talking about is in 2050. Well, we have saw from last summer, 2050 is too far away. We have to deal with it now. Talking about we need more affordable housing and don't worry, in 10 years, we'll build half a million homes. No, we need affordable housing today. And it isn't just affordable as in, 15% below market value, it is truly affordable, which is 30% of your income, mm. which is definitely not what it is today. Well, we need to not only focus on uh, the physical care, and a lot of people in my generation are on contract work or in gig economy, so they definitely know your doctor might write you a prescription, but you can't fill it. Mm. Or you might be feeling like you can't get out of bed, but you can't afford mental health services. And unfortunately, a lot of the things we do have is all reactive based. Like I can get people can get mental health services, but it usually requires to go to an ER room first. Or uh, so it's if I had to sum it up is we need to be more proactive. We need mm. to stop this party bickering. We need services now for people and we need just to get to work mm -hmm. because my generation's definitely working. <laughs> which is kind of uh one of these things is that millennials don't want to or whether it's zoomers or, or whoever the younger crowd is these days that they don't want to work they just want to uh take makers and takers is the classic characterization yes and i can definitely say just for my small sample size of friends they're already working 60 hour weeks uh because they were sold if they work hard they can make it and they're all mm. slowly finding out if you can work hard, you can just barely get by. Right. So it's flipping that and realizing let's work 40 hours a week and you still will earn enough to get by and to save and to have a family because we all want to have families and we all want to the same lives our parents did. But right now, that's just a dream. Do you think the pandemic has changed a lot of people's ideas about what the government can do or what maybe what the government should do? I think it has. We've seen uh, when it comes to climate change, we saw the fact if we all work together, we can cut our climate change if we all work from home, which I definitely know isn't sustainable. Uh, we can make a difference. We've seen that the government says for years, oh, we can't invest. But all of a sudden, when something comes, the money's there. So it's definitely shifted from, well, let's from debate or some far off policy to actually being able to know we can do things quickly. We just have to be motivated. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think this pandemic has been a good wake up call for everyone to let us know that we can get things done and we can do it quickly. I would point out that, uh, and, and you know, this, th this is the, the pandemic is sort of not, uh, even though it was a crisis, we all kind of had to live through it. It did not, it did not affect all of us equally. And I think that's 
uh, are going to be a big part of whatever happens next, right? Is just, you know, how can we make sure everybody feels a part of the solution? Because I think that, I think a lot of that it also connects back to things, ex- extreme things like the freedom convoy. Not everybody felt that they were part of the solution. Yeah. And uh, what I find even more telling is the people that we thought were heroes in the first wave are now being quickly forgotten about mm. those here dollar, $2 an hour wages that uh, big grocery stores given out were quickly clawed back the moment the PR uh, wagon stopped talking about it. Right. So whatever solutions do come out, every Canadian, regardless of what party you are from or what class you're from or where you live all needs to uh, prosper equally together. Mm-hmm. Looking into sort of like the direct party politics of this, um, I'm sh- you, you are aware of this. You will be running against uh, the incumbent candidate, Mike Schreiner, uh, leader of the Green Party of Ontario. Uh, a lot of people who are maybe don't live politics day in, day out, like some of the rest of us do, um, you know, always point out that, you know, there's a lot of overlap between the Green Party and the NDP. So I guess... Um, why what what's going to be your case for voters to say go with this new guy james instead of uh this guy we we already know mike um my case to voters will be that we're the uh leader of the opposition we're the closest to form government if ontarians do want to change and i believe that we truly do the ndp is the way to get there we're offering dental care pharmacare better mental health services the green new democratic deal uh, the Green Party and Mike have done a lot of great things for Guelph. And I think all four candidates that are running and their, and their platforms, I believe that all of them will bring a different perspective. And it's going to be an honor to go against all of them. But why the NDP? It's because we're the, we're the closest to form government. And if we truly want uh, better health care, better schools, then the NDP is the only course. Mm-hmm. This is always a delicate subject for anyone who runs under the NDB banner, especially provincially. But I see it pop up still 30 years later. Um, people remember the last NDP government in Ontario. The NDP has, as, as you've rightly stated, never been closer to forming a new government. But I mean, you're probably going to get that when you're out and about. And you, you can probably honestly answer that you don't remember when Bob Wright was. The I was not alive <laughs> when he ran. <laughs> Uh, you said 30. I'm 29. I'm turning 30 in October this year, which is something I'm not looking forward to. But um, when it comes to that, honestly, I don't know. We're, I can't talk about what they did. Everyone who's running now is not from that government. So what, what could have been or what they did, just say what we're going to do. Right. We're going to give dental care. We're going to give pharma care. We're going to reinvest in schools and hospitals. We will give people the future they deserve. Mm-hmm. So what's in the past is in the past. Right. <laughs> At least for me, cause I wasn't alive. <laughs> That's fair. But I mean, I, it's, it's, it's something that people seem to be thoroughly obsessed with is that one time the NDP was in the government, but it, you do raise an interesting point. Aggie last election, who was the NDP candidate also skewered to the youth side. Um, I mean, is this kind of, uh, I, I guess, we, we don't see the mechanics of the local party, um, you know, when you're on the stump or when it's an off year um, and there's no election going on. Uh, is there a big youth 
uh, caucus in the local NDP party I don't know about? <laughs> um, well, from the recent exec that was hired, I think 50% of it is is youths. Like there is a big now uh, generation of youth that are coming up into politics. They're finally not working 60 hour weeks. They have time to put the time in to run for politics or get involved. So it's going to be very exciting seeing all these new faces and voices to come out uh, and get into politics. So Aggie was, yeah, she was, she did come in that way. And I'm, I'm, she did a lot of great things and promoted a lot of good issues for Guelph. And I hopefully I can continue doing the same. So in terms of, the issues, uh, and I'm going to approach this two different ways. Um, maybe the answer is the pandemic. I don't know, but I, I will let you tell me. What do you think the issue um, is that is going to be like sort of the determining issue when people cast their vote? What do you think it's going to be? And aside from that, what is the one issue you want to run on that you are worried that nobody's going to talk about? Um. Well, the big issue is affordability right now. Inflation's at a record time high uh, and housing costs are even higher. So if we don't worry about pocketbook issues and worry about uh, affordability either through the hydro, water, food bills, uh, I looked at a butternut squash the other day, it was $10, which is ridiculous. Uh, things that matter to people. Uh, then at the end of this election, at the end of when people are done spending all their money, they won't have any other much money to spend back into the local economy. So if we actually want a just and true recovery or however any party wants to spin it, it's about putting money in people's pockets. And the best way of doing that is to give it, giving them the services, uh, either dental, pharma, better housing, uh, just to repeat, uh, it's to make sure they have money to spend. And mm. if people are too busy spending their entire paycheck on their house or on their teeth, then mm. that's less money to go to the local plant store in Guelph or at uh, Planet Bean. And okay. those are good employers that need people to spend, need people to buy so we can grow our economy here. Right. So the, uh, the second part of this, what issue are you worried is going to get lost in the shuffle? Um, the environment and mental health. Um, there's a big talk on... Uh, uh, is affordability and whenever there's always that dual uh, that swing is if you worry about the environment things can cost more money which uh, in certain countries that's just not true there's way to have a progressive policy and making sure that when we build new houses they're energy efficient or when we uh, when we go after reducing carbon emissions we do it through um, EV grants or the four thousand uh, dollar budget uh, EV credit that the Liberals rolled out and then uh, Doug Ford repealed. Uh, it's through it's through collective means that we actually tackle both for the environment and for mental health uh, through just the parents I've talked to or through my neighbors. The number one thing that they all talk about is mental health. They're mm. worried about their kids. I had a good childhood, but I only can imagine what it is like to live through a pandemic, through masks, through in school, seeing a fully crowded hallway with kids not wearing masks with masks what that must do to someone's psyche. We need to invest in mental health today to make sure everyone's able to work and thrive tomorrow. Mm -hmm. say, say you could have a, a conversation with Doug Ford. Um, I mean, what, what, what would you tell him? Like, what, what, what do you think? I mean, without maybe getting into 
this is what you did wrong. This is what you've done wrong. This yeah. is what you've done wrong. I mean, you know, if just have like an honest exchange with, with the premiere, what would you talk about? Um, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I would talk about healthcare. There has been talk from the conservative side about for creating hospital, uh, hospital capacity through either privatization or through different cost cutting mechanisms. I don't think that's the right thing. Hmm. Our healthcare providers have Thrown the brunt of uh, brunt of the pandemic. They deserve uh, they deserve better staffing. They deserve what they get. Uh, they uh, and 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 for uh, their cost of living increases. They they deserve to get our support behind. And I I think every Ontarian is proud of our publicly funded healthcare system. And I think that we have to fight for it. So if I had to talk to Doug Ford to be about that, it would just be about uh, let's get this partisan politic, uh, politics aside and start working for people and not big business. Is that something you're really worried about that uh, healthcare, even after all of this could uh, end up privatized or end up, you know, not getting even just like not getting the extra funding that they're asking for to, to, to prevent another crisis or to prevent another situation where they are constantly in crisis like they are right now. I, I definitely have that fear. Um, and I hope that there's enough rational people out there that will vote with their conscience to make sure we don't get budgets like that in the future, or even better, the NDP can form government because <laughs> the government spent a lot of money and Doug Ford's made it quite clear. He wants to bu- bu- uh, balance the budget and he mm. isn't for raising taxes on those who profited the most during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So the only way he can do that is through cutting services. So I believe and I believe that every Ontarian believes we have to make sure that our publicly funded healthcare system is adequately funded so we can bear with this pandemic and any future pandemics to come. I, I did want to, th- this was kind of not something I, I expected to talk about, but it's, it's, it was kind of breaking news this week. And it kind of goes into, you know, provincial politics in a way in terms of working across party lines and some of the things you were talking about a couple of minutes ago. Uh, we did get that announcement that the federal NDP and liberals are working together. Uh, how, what, what are your kind of thoughts on bipartisanship and coalitions and working together across party lines? Good That's move. the point of democracy. <laughs> we vote overall as a city to represent one person to hold all our values. And if there's not compromise, then what's the point? We need people to form, quali- call it a coalition, call it a partnership, whatever it is, but it's a way of getting bills done. And it's a way of, especially with the NDP pushed for, which is better dental care for people who are low income or for families. It's a win-win for all Canadians. Mm -hmm. So I fully support it. And I think that at the end of the day, politics is about working together. So Mm -hmm. however that comes out, collaboration is the best, best thing we can do. Does is working with the federal government, uh, like between working together, the Ontario government, and the federal government, is that a bit easier with an NDP government in Queens Park? Because Doug Ford is making sure he looks pretty chummy with the federal government. <laughs> um, I hope any party that gets elected is easy to work with the federal government. The federal government should treat every province equally. Um, Doug Ford, yeah, he is chummy. He's, uh, but I hope whatever party gets elected can easily work with the federal government. Cause if we don't work together, we're going to spend all this time fighting and not getting the services and resources that the average Ontarian needs. Cause when we fight the common folk lose. 
that was very diplomatic, I must say. So I will, I will, uh, since you're on a roll, I, I will leave you with uh, this question, which is, uh, what are you looking forward to um, when it comes time to campaign? And, and have you done any formal campaigning yet, uh, aside from doing this interview? Um, this has been my first uh, media appearance. So thank you for helping me get this over with. Or not quite over with, but you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited to get out and start uh, knocking on people's doors. I I really do enjoy talking to people. I think people will probably want me to walk away before I'll need to, just because <laughs> I talk way too much. But I, I enjoy talking and listening to the average concerns of people in Guelph. It's going to be lovely to get on the debate stage too and hear what four amazing candidates can offer Guelph. And I, I really, I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting out there and doing it. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time stuck indoors during this pandemic, and it's going to be great to actually stretch my legs and get get in front of the people of Wolf. Uh, perfect. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to that. <laughs> but uh, James Parr, uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, we will see you out on the campaign trail. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So once again, that was James Parr, and uh, as usual, expect to hear more from him in the weeks to come, including a, an appearance on this show once the election begins. Election begins. I don't think we've ever been this far ahead of the game, have we, Adam? No, we are super candidates. We are super oh. organized. And I was meeting other area green candidates on the weekend, so if we wanted to like really spread this ad, like, I, uh, we, could, we could go Cambridge, we could go anywhere. Well, if anyone's oh, listening on. in those areas, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> Or not maybe, this minute. This is not a live show. <laughs> this is not a live show. And I'm, I, I, I am unfortunately must report that somebody has already claimed the good name of Zedanon. So oh. if, if you are in the Hagersville or Grimsby area, you can visit the Zedanon Denture and Anti-Snoring Clinic. <laughs> they have they have five stars on Google, so Ooh. they must they must be good. And it's all true, right? Yeah. Uh, no. Well, I mean, if you got a snoring problem, it's not you. It's the deep state. So go to. <laughs> <laughs> go to, go to Zedanon. I'm going to cook up a snoring problem just so I can go undercover. That's right. And report for this show. <laughs> My teeth are great, but I can't sleep a wink. Yeah. Where we sleep one, we sleep all. Uh, that is it for this week's show. <laughs> we hope you liked it. Oh if goodness. you want to stay connected to us, you can go to our website at opensourcesquelf.com. Find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, check out cfru.ca slash shows can find out when this is on, when all the stuff's on, but not QAnon. Or Zedanon, for that matter. No, go to Hagersville for Zedanon. That's the last word on Zedanon. Okay. (laughs) Stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will see you back here next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources, and we will see you then. Thank you.
Thank you.